Welcome to the East Memorial Student Podcast, your source for the biblical teaching of East Memorial Student Ministries. I'm your host, Matthew Ronsky, pastor of Students and Discipleship at East Memorial Baptist Church in Prattville, Alabama. Well, it is great to see everybody. Tonight, we officially begin our study of the Ten Commandments. So the introduction to the series is done. We're moving from the theoretical to the practical, and I'm excited to go through these Ten Commandments with you all. And one of the reasons, I I think this is going to be one of the most practical and relevant series in the history of my time with this youth group. Not that our other series have not been relevant or practical. Some have been very relevant or practical, but the truth that we are going to cover in our study of the Ten Commandments is going to apply to every single one of us, including myself, at some level. And so I am excited to go through this study with you all. And to begin our study of the Ten Commandments, I want to begin with an important overview of the Ten Commandments themselves, specifically starting with the structure of the Ten Commandments. The structure of the Ten Commandments. All right, there we go. All right, you look on the screen. There is an interesting structure. So obviously there are 10 commandments and you can really divide the 10 commandments into two different groups. Two different groups. One group you could think of as the vertical group or the commandments that primarily relate to a person's relationship to the Lord, to God. And then you have what can be called the horizontal commandments in red on the screen that relate to a person's, or primarily relate to a person's relationship with other people. So as you see on the screen, commands one through four deal with the vertical relationship, our relationship with the Lord. And then starting in commandment five with the command to honor your parents, which is kind of a hinge between the two groups, you see a chain of horizontal commands dealing with our relationship primarily to other people. And then the final commandment, commandment number 10, thou shall not covet, is again another vertical commandment. So you can think of it like it is ending on a high note. It's ending on, and as we go through this and as we several months down the road, when we get to commandment number 10, we'll see why I believe that the 10 commandments ends with the command not to covet. But this is the general structure of the 10 commandments. And I want you to see this overview. But now I also now want to mention beyond this, the structure of the 10 commandments, how we're going to approach this study of the 10 commandments. And what you need to know is that there are two places in the Torah two places in the first five books of Moses where the Ten Commandments appear. The first place, let me see, let me really test your knowledge here. Who can tell me what chapter or what book and chapter you can first find the Ten Commandments? I saw a hand right here. Exodus 20. Exodus 20, good job. That is is 100% correct. Exodus 20 is the first place where the Ten Commandments appear. And then the second place, who can tell me the second place they appear? Nope, not Exodus again. Deuteronomy chapter 5. 
Deuteronomy chapter 5. Now, if you compare both lists of commandments, they're the exact same. The commandments are the same in both Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5, but the audience is different. The audience is different. So in Exodus 20, the Ten Commandments are, are given in that chapter to the first generation of Israel who was delivered out of Egypt, out of slavery from Egypt. Now, this entire generation that received the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, except Joshua and Caleb, the only two, they were all not allowed to enter the promised land or the land of Israel. They were all condemned to die in the wilderness, and they were condemned because of repeated disobedience to the Lord. Well, then you go to Deuteronomy, the book of Deuteronomy, and that book was written, and really it records, you could think of it like a sermon of Moses, and it is the second retelling of the law to the second generation of the Israelites who came out of the, the, the land of Egypt. And this would be the children of of the first generation. So everyone who was under the age of 20 or 20 and under when Israel was taken out of Egypt from their slavery. And so the commandments in Deuteronomy 5, again, they're the same commandments, but they were given to the second generation of Israelites who came out of Egypt. So it was like a retelling of the law. Now for our series on the Ten Commandments, we are going to study the commandments within the book of Deuteronomy. That's where we're primarily going to spend our time. And there's a specific reason we're going to do that. And the reason is that there is a unique structure to the book of Deuteronomy, a structure that is based on the Ten Commandments. And it is a structure that provides the interpretive key to the Ten Commandments. In other words, the structure of Deuteronomy provides the key that unlocks the deeper meaning of the Ten Commandments. And I want to show you what I'm talking about. So I have another slide that outlines this structure. You see on the screen. So each commandment that is listed in Deuteronomy 5 correlates to a larger section in the book of Deuteronomy. Now there's some debate among scholars as far as what exact sections match up to each of the commandments. But in general, the list that you see on the screen is, is pretty much, you could say there would be general agreement to this list. Maybe on the, the edges there would be some, some debate. But I think that this list, as presented on the screen, is an accurate representation of the structure. And so what you see, you see a commandment and then a correlated section of, of the book of Deuteronomy. Now, to explain how this works and what is going on with this structure, each of the Ten Commandments is functioning like a general statement or like, if you can think of it, like the amendments of the Bill of Rights. So it's like a general statement, a general principle, and then all of the specific laws in the corresponding section help define that commandment. So for example, thinking of the, the US Constitution and the Bill of Rights, the First Amendment is the right to free speech, or at least that's part of the First Amendment, right? You have the right to, to free speech. Well, you could ask the question, what does it mean, what does free speech mean? What does it mean that you have the right to free speech? What does that entail? What are the limits to that free speech? Well, in the law, the Constitution, 
you have the Bill of Rights, and then you have all the Supreme Court decisions, all of the different statutes, so you can call it the case law, whatever, you, you, whatever the terms, specific terms may be. You have a history, so to speak, of, of court decisions and individual laws being spelled out that help define what it means to have free speech. And so if you were to follow constitutional history or constitutional law and study this, you'll find, okay, based on the courts and based on laws of the land, the free, free speech, the right to free speech, means that you have the right to disagree with the government. That is included in your right to free speech. You can publish you know, uh, verbal disagreements with the government. However, you look at other court decisions and laws and you find that the, the right to free speech does not give you the right to scream that you have a bomb on an airplane. That would not be covered under, the free, under free speech. And if you do that, don't even try. You will be arrested and likely charged with the felony. You know, I, I just saw a, a viral video uh, like a week ago where some guy, I think he, uh, he did an airdrop saying that he had a bomb, thinking that he could be anonymous and, you know, kind of just mess with the plane. Well, sure enough, like six police officers went on that plane and they found that guy and took him out, you know. So, um, yeah, free speech doesn't cover that, right? And we know that based on court decisions, case laws, individual laws, and so forth. Well, in the book of Deuteronomy, this is how this structure is working. So you have a general commandment, part of the Ten Commandments, and then that section that it correlates to gives all of these specific laws and regulations that spell out and define what that commandment actually means and entails. So we could say it like this. The specific laws in the corresponding sections, they define the essence of each of the Ten Commandments and what it means to really fulfill each of the Ten Commandments. So how do you study the Ten Commandments? Well, we're going to talk about this. So let's, let's talk about our strategy. So another slide that I have, how to study the Ten Commandments. And we'll use as an example, commandment number one, which is what we are going to be covering tonight. So let's go to that slide, how to study the Ten Commandments. And as you see, okay, this is based on commandment number one. And this commandment's corresponding section in Deuteronomy is Deuteronomy 6 to 11. That's the corresponding section. So the first step then in our study, we're going to define what commandment one is saying and then the general principle behind that commandment, just based on the actual commandment itself. Then the second step is we are going to then explain the essence of commandment number one through a study of specific laws and commands throughout Deuteronomy 6 to 11. So those specific laws and regulations are going to give us insight into the real heart of the commandment, the real essence of the commandment. So as I mentioned, tonight we're going to look at commandment number one. And so if you're not there already, turn in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 5. And we're going to look at the first commandment in verse 7. Commandment number one. And it says, Deuteronomy 5 verse 7, it says, You shall have no other gods before me, as it reads in the New American Standard Translation. Now, in the Hebrew, this command literally says, this is the, the, the most literal translation, 
you shall have no other gods before my face, would be the literal translation. And what that means, the idea is that you should have, shall have no other God in the sight of God. Before his face means in his sight. And there's other places in the Bible where he says, you know, that he's going to remove somebody from his face, meaning from his sight. He's going to get rid of them or something like that. So this means the idea that you shall have no other gods in the sight of God. Now, before we explore the true essence of this command in its corresponding section of Deuteronomy, I do want to point out something that is interesting about the last phrase, the, the phrase before my face or in the sight of God. And this is something that I do not want you to miss. And, and the important thing that you need to understand is through the language of this command, God is subtly pointing out the fact that he exists. That he exists whether somebody rejects him or not. And this is the general principle behind this command that there is only one God who is the creator of all things. And as the creator, he has preeminence, meaning that he is superior to all things. That's what preeminence means. He's superior to all things in existence. And no creature, no human being, no angel, no creature can kill God or make him disappear. Nobody, and this is also another important thing, nobody can do anything outside of the sight of God. There's no sense in which you can hide from God or that you can conceal things from God and you can't get rid of them. Therefore, when people worship or follow another God instead of the one true God, who is Yahweh, that's his covenantal name in the Old Testament, Yahweh, then they do so in the sight of the one true God. It's visible. God's aware of it. And that then means that they will not escape the judgment from the one true God. And this is the principle that God is the creator of everything. He's preeminent over everything. It means he's superior to everything. You can't get rid of him and you can do nothing out of his sight. So if you reject him and you choose another God, whatever that God may be, well, you do it in his sight. You do it right in front of his face metaphorically speaking. So, with this general principle in mind, let's now turn, step two, to the corresponding section of this commandment. So it'd be Deuteronomy 6 to 11, and then define the essence of this commandment. Or we could think of it like this. What does it look like to fulfill commandment number one? And if you know what it looks like to fulfill the commandment, then you would also know what it looks like to violate and disobey the commandment. So what does it look like to fulfill commandment number one? Well, tonight I'm going to give you three principles that tie into this first commandment. And it's going to be supported by various passages in Deuteronomy 6 through 11. So the first principle that is involved in this first commandment, you could title supreme loyalty to Yahweh. Supreme loyalty to to Yahweh. And where I first want to take you is in Deuteronomy 6, verse 5. Deuteronomy 6, verse 5. And here it says, in Deuteronomy 6, verse 5, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart 
and with all your soul and with all your might. So this specific command here, which is in the section that correlates to commandment number one, if you remember from our scripture reading this evening, this specific commandment is identified by Jesus as being the greatest or the foremost of all the commandments in scripture. And that is because it is at the heart of commandment number one. So we could say this, that to begin fulfilling the first of the 10 commandments, you must love the one true God with every ounce of your being. That is what this specific command refers to. Now, this is important to understand, and, and one reason it's important to understand is because you can imagine a scenario, for example, where you have an atheist that comes along, and maybe he wants to be a little bit difficult and a little bit sarcastic, and, and maybe he even believes this, and he says, you know, look, I'm not violating the first commandment because I don't believe in any God. So I'm not putting another God, I'm not worshiping another God in the face of the one true God. I don't believe in any God. There is, you know, I don't think there's a God. So, you know, if they're, if they're trying to be difficult, they might say, well, you know, I'm not really violating this commandment according to the letter of the text. Well, this atheist would be wrong on multiple accounts. The first thing that he would be wrong about is as we're talking about to fulfill commandment number one, it's more than just not having another God. It also involves loving the one true God with every ounce of your being. That's part of this commandment. Second, here's another important truth that is a reason this atheist would be wrong. Even if a person does not love or worship another divine God, lowercase g, even if they don't worship another religion, the truth is that every person is going to love things in their life. You're going to love something. And in that list of things that you love, something is going to be at the top of the list, the top of the list of the things that you love. And that thing among people can be something like their own desires or their own well-being. And so in a sense, they, in their mind, they become their own God. They love themselves more than anything else. They could love money, and therefore money becomes a God to them. They could also love even things that are more worthwhile to love, like their family and their friends. They could love those things above everything else. Therefore, their family and their friends become like their God. And we could say this, that you will treat as God whatever you love the most. That's the principle that is true for everyone, no exceptions. Whatever you love the most is what you are going to treat as your God, whether that is yourself or money or friends or family or anything that you could list in this world. And related to that, you must also understand that to love the one true God with all your heart means that you will love God above everything else. That if you're going to fulfill that specific command, God needs to be at the top of that list. You have to love God more than yourself, more than your desires, more than money, more than friends and even family. In fact, I want to take you to two passages in the New Testament. 
all in the Gospel of Matthew, starting in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. Matthew 6, verse 24. Here Jesus says and teaches in his Sermon on the Mount, he says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. You can't serve two masters. At some point, if those two things are competing against one another, you're going to pick one or the other. You're going to prefer one of the other. And so when it comes to money, you can't serve both God and money. We'll now turn over to Matthew chapter 10, verses 37 to 39 specifically. Jesus teaches here in Matthew 10, starting in verse 37. He says, He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who has found his life will lose it, and he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. Now we see here in Jesus' teaching, one little interesting point, he equates himself to the Lord here, to God. He puts himself in the place of Deuteronomy 6, verse 5. But also, as we read, even things like family, even your own life, you must love God more if you want to be his disciple, if you want to experience the blessings of salvation. And as we really see, Jesus' teaching here is consistent with the specific command that we read in Deuteronomy 6, that you must love the one true God with every ounce of your soul in being. And if you truly love God in this way, then God will come first in your life. You will have more devotion and loyalty to God than your own family or your best of friends. You will even care more about God than you will care about your own life. And so, go, thinking back to the atheist, if he is not putting God first, the one true God, Yahweh, God of Scripture, if he is not putting God first, then even if he doesn't worship another God, he is violating the first commandment because you must love God more than everything. Well, beyond placing God first in your heart, what more can we say about the essence of this first commandment? What else does it look like to have no other gods in the sight of the one true God? Well, we're going to look at two more principles from this correlating section of Deuteronomy. And the second principle, you can title obedience. Obedience. Let me read a chain of verses from the book of Deuteronomy, starting the section Deuteronomy 6 through 11. So we'll start in Deuteronomy 6, specifically verse 17, and then we're going to go through this chain of verses. So starting in Deuteronomy 6, verse 17, the Lord says through Moses, you should diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God and his testimonies and his statutes which he has commanded you. Now turn over to Deuteronomy 7, verse 11. 
Deuteronomy 7, verse 11. It again says, Therefore you shall keep the commandment and the statutes and the judgments which I am commanding you today to do them. Now Deuteronomy 8, verse 1. Deuteronomy 8, verse 1. It reads, All the commandments that I'm commanding you today, you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to give to your forefathers. Now, last one we'll read, Deuteronomy 11, verse 1. Deuteronomy 11, verse 1. It says, You shall therefore love the Lord your God and always keep his charge, his statutes, his ordinances, and his commandments. So here we see over and over again in this section that is related to the first commandment, we see this expectation that to fulfill this commandment, you will obey the Lord. You will obey the word of the Lord. And if you think about it, I mean, imagine this illustration. Let's think of, you're all teenagers, let's think of a teenager and how they relate to their parents, okay? Something you all can, can relate to. Let's say a teenager says, man, I love my parents. I just, you know, I, I'm so loyal to my parents. I'm so, you know, they're just, they're my everything. And then, you know, you see them and you know, you're, you're there with them and their parents says, hey, make sure you're home by 10 o'clock tonight. And so 10 o'clock comes around, hey, are we gonna go back to your house? No, no, we're gonna stay out till midnight. But your parents said that you'd be home at 10. Like, I don't care. I don't care what they said. But I love my parents. They're my everything. And then you're with them another day and you know, the, the parents said, hey, you know, do not take the nice Ford truck in the garage out for a joyride, whatever, whatever nice car you know, your parents might have. Do not take that car out for joyride. So then your friend, you know, parents leave, grabs the keys. Come on, man, let's go, let's go for a ride. Wait, but your parents just said not to take that car. I don't care. But I love my parents. My parents are my everything. Right, you start to see this pattern that if you don't obey, so if, if, if you claim to love and follow and serve somebody, but you never obey them, you never listen to them, is that true love? Well, the answer, of course, is no. And the principle is that you will obey the one you love and serve. And, and, serve. and this is affirmed by Jesus Christ. One passage from the New Testament in Luke chapter 6, verses 46 to 49. Luke chapter 6, verses 46 to 49 Jesus is again teaching here, and he says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and acts on them, I will show you whom he is like. So who is this one like? He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock. And when a flood occurred, the torrent burst against the house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who has heard and has not acted accordingly is like a man who built a house on the ground without any foundation. And the torrent burst against it and immediately it collapsed. And the ruin of that house was great. So as Jesus makes clear in this teaching, 
Those who acknowledge God with their lips, who profess God and profess loyalty to God, but then who disobey his word are like those who build their house on shaky ground. And really what this means is they are those with a false profession of faith. They may appear to have faith because they, they say it with their mouth, but if they do not submit themselves in obedience to the word of God, then that profession of faith is hollow. It's empty. It's like an empty shell. And when the pressure builds, it's going to crack under that pressure. We can even say that if somebody refuses to obey God's word, then that is proof that God is really not the number one priority or source of authority in their life. Something other than the one true God is serving as their God. Therefore, in principle, those who do not obey God's word are not fulfilling the first commandment. Somebody could say, Boy, I don't have any, I don't worship any other God. No, I, I believe in the one true God. I believe in Jesus Christ. But if they don't fulfill his word and they don't obey him, then they're not fulfilling this commandment according to the principle of the law. Well, let's look at one more principle or final principle for this evening. Final principle tied to the fulfillment of commandment number one. And we can title this principle humble dependence. Humble dependence. And to begin, I want to read another chain of passages starting in Deuteronomy chapter 7. Deuteronomy ch chapter 7, and we'll be in verses 7 to 8. Deuteronomy 7. Chapter 7, verses 7 to 8. It says this. The Lord did not set his love on you nor choose you because you were more in number than any of the peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But because the Lord loved you and kept the oath which he swore to your forefathers, the Lord brought you out by a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Now go to Deuteronomy 8, verses 16 to 18. Deuteronomy 8, verses 16 to 18. And it says here, in the wilderness, he fed you manna, which your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and that he might test you to do good for you in the end. Otherwise, you may say in your heart, my power and the strength of my hand made me this wealth. But you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who is giving you the power to make wealth, that he may confirm his covenant, which he swore to your fathers as it is this day. Next passage that we'll look at is in Deuteronomy 9, one more chapter over, verses 4 to 7. So Deuteronomy 9, verses 4 to 7, it says this, Do not say in your heart, when the Lord your God has driven them out before you, speaking of all the Canaanites and the people that lived in the land before Israel, do not say in your heart, because of my righteousness, the Lord has brought me in to possess this land. But it is because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is dispossessing them before you. It is not for your righteousness or for the uprightness of your heart 
that you are going to possess their land. But it is because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord your God is driving them out before you in order to confirm the oath which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Know then, it is not because of your righteousness that the Lord your God is giving you this good land to possess, for you are a stubborn people. Remember, do not forget how you provoked the Lord your God to wrath in the wilderness. From the day that you left the land of Egypt until you arrived at this place, you have been rebellious against the Lord. So as we read these passages, which all correlate to the first commandment, we can see that there is a strong reminder for the nation of Israel to remain humble and not to forget the Lord's role in their history and in their future. What these passages teach, teach us, is that humility toward God is an essential aspect of fulfilling the first commandment. Let's think of another illustration for the sake of illustration. Imagine, I'll use myself, let's say I'm a homeless guy. Okay, I'm homeless, I'm living on the street. I, I don't have a dollar to my name. My clothes are all, you know, ragged and I have no skills, no way to provide for myself. I'm just, I'm just a total, I'm like a lost cause. And then this wealthy guy comes along and he sees me on the street, and for whatever reason, he takes pity, and he says, you know what, I want to help this guy out. So he comes up to me and says, hey man, like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put you in a hotel, you're going to get off the street, go get yourself cleaned up, and I'm going to take you, I'm going to buy you some nice clothes, get you a nice suit, some nice shoes, so forth, and then you're going to come work for me, I'm going to hire you. And you're going to come to my company, and this guy's a multimillionaire, super wealthy, large company, and don't worry, I know you don't have any skills, but I'm going to train you. I'm going to give you time to learn. I'm going to put the best mentors around you that are going to teach you the job. And you just need to show up. So just be there at a certain time, certain you know, the days that I tell you, and I'm going to take care of the rest. I'm going to mentor you, provide mentors, get you cleaned up. And then I'm going to pay you too. I'm going to pay you a salary so you can start to provide for yourself and any family that you might have. So now... I, down the line, let's say a few years down the line, okay, now I'm cleaned up. I have money in the bank. I have a house, driving a nice car. You know, my life looks completely different. Now imagine if one day, those few years down the line, I say to myself, I look at my house, I look at my car, I look at my clothing, and I say, yo, man, look at what I have done for myself Look at all this hard work that I have put in. And then let's say somebody comes along and says, hey, what about the guy, the millionaire, that opened up all these opportunities, put you in a hotel, did all these things, and be like, oh, that guy? Like, yeah, he did those things, but you know what? He just recognized my greatness. He saw me on the side of the street. He just saw, he just knew that I just had this greatness. And you know, really, he should be grateful that he ran into me on the side of the street because I've done all this thing for his company. I've, I've made him this much money, all this stuff. Like, I'm just so awesome. Like, he should be grateful that he ran into me and offered me a job and helped me out. Imagine that scenario. Imagine how ridiculous that is. And really, not just that it's ridiculous, but how much of an insult it is to the one who provided everything for him. 
who gave him all the opportunities, all of the ability to be where he is or I am today. Well, this is the same thing with us and the Lord. It's not to say that we don't do anything, that we don't work at all, that we don't necessarily contribute anything, but we didn't contribute to our birth. We didn't contribute to where we were born and the opportunities that would provide. We can't really control our health as much as we want to. There's people that eat healthy, they work out, they see their doctor regularly, and they still get diagnosed with terminal cancer and their life completely changes. That happens. We can't control those things. So we can't control when we were born, where we were born, how long we live, the opportunities that provide themselves. We can't control any of that. That's all the Lord who provides all of those things. And so when we become prideful and we forget the Lord and his role in that, it's an insult to him. It's disrespect of the highest order not to acknowledge the Lord and to think that we actually contributed something of meaning or something that would somehow obligate God to serve us or to provide good things to us. That is the furthest thing from the truth. And the nation of Israel was a prime example of that. They were not the largest nation. They were not the strongest nation. They weren't even an obedient nation. They were rebellious. Yet, because God is gracious and because God made a promise to Abraham and to Isaac and Jacob, God delivered Israel and provided for them. And the same thing is true of us. If you belong to Jesus Christ, it's not because you're great. It's not even because you're obedient, naturally. It's because he's chosen you. He's chosen you and he's made a promise to Jesus Christ to give him a certain people and he is going to fulfill that. So, pride, a lack of humility. In principle, it is a rejection of God. And not only is it a rejection of God in principle, but pride will also lead to a rejection of God in practice. In our last minute, I want to look at one more passage, one more passage that illustrates this. Romans chapter 10, verse 1 to 3. Romans 10, verse 1 to 3. Now this, the Apostle Paul is speaking about the Jews who live close to the time of Jesus. Those who did not have salvation. And so he says in Romans 10, starting in verse 1, he says to the Christians, brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them, that is the Jewish people, is for their salvation. For I testify about them that they have a zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge. For not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. And so what he's saying about his Jewish brethren his brothers in the, in the flesh, because Paul was Jewish himself, he's saying that they actually had a genuine zeal for God, that they, they even thought in their mind that they were serving God in the things that they were doing. However, the problem that was keeping them from salvation was their pride. They were trying to establish their own righteousness independent of God. 
pride was still in their heart and they wanted to earn favor from God through their own effort and their own power. Well, the problem is when a person with this mindset, which is ultimately connected to pride, when the problem with such a person is that they are not going to want to admit that their effort can never earn favor from God. And so with the case of the Jewish people in the time of Jesus, when Jesus appeared to them as their Messiah, and when he confronted them about their sin and their hypocrisy and their failure to keep the law, what did they do? They didn't repent. Because of their pride, they rejected Jesus, and ultimately they wanted to kill Jesus. But here's the problem for us is that we will do the same exact thing if we forget God and allow pride to grow in our hearts. We will do exactly what the Jews in that time did by and large. So just to summarize this last principle, if you are prideful and if you forget God's role in your life, then in principle you are violating the commandment to have no other gods. And that is because a prideful heart is a heart that is not truly acknowledging God for who he is and what he's done. Well, as we come to our conclusion, I should make it clear that we did not study commandment number one exhaustively. To do that, you would have to go through all of Deuteronomy 6 through 11 and consider how all of it relates to the first commandment. However, I did provide some key principles that really teach us what it really means to fulfill commandment number one. And to close, I just want, for the sake of review, to relist those three principles. And I do have a slide for that. Principles that equal the essence of commandment number one. Number one, the one true God, Yahweh, the God of Scripture, the triune God of Scripture, he must be number one in your life. Supreme loyalty and devotion must be given to Yahweh. Number two, you must obey God's word to fulfill this commandment. You must obey God's word. And then number three, you must be humble toward God. You must never forget the ways in which God has blessed you, and you must never believe that you have earned those blessings or anything good that comes from God. And if you are growing in these three things, then you can say that you are fulfilling the principle, the essence of the first commandment. Well, let us pray, and then we'll, uh, we'll start our activities for this evening. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this evening and the ability to study your word. I pray for this group in, in general that you would help us all, Lord, learn more about you and, and to obey you and to follow you. Keep us from a prideful heart that forgets you, Lord, and just be with us. Protect us, um, provide for us our daily needs as you, as you tell us to, to pray for, Lord. We want to pray for those things. I, I, I thank you for this youth group, Lord, and everybody that you've brought here this evening. I pray for a fun night this evening and that you would just continue to, to bless us and shine your face upon us. We pray all these things in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the East Memorial Student Podcast. For more information and updates about East Memorial Student Ministries, please visit our website at eastmemorial.org. You can also follow us on our Instagram page titled EMBC Student.